After the sermon, we will sing from hymn 57, the stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, in the parable that we just read, we see that there is conflict in the kingdom of God. The evil one is able to do his work undetected, and as a result, there is good and evil in God's kingdom. How can this be? That is the question that came to the minds of the disciples of the Lord Jesus. It is a great surprise to them. They did not expect it from the way that John the Baptist had announced the coming of the kingdom. But John the Baptist told everyone that you can expect the kingdom of God when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. And he warned them and said, The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, with the coming of Christ, sin will be dealt with. Evil will no longer be tolerated. It will be done away with. But now the Lord Jesus in the parable says that good and evil will grow up together. And so they ask him to explain that, to explain the parable. How can this be? And then we get a very clear and profound answer from the Lord Jesus. He tells us about the bad weed and the good wheat in the kingdom of God. That's also the theme for this morning's worship service. And I've divided the message into three parts, namely, first of all, the sowing, the second place, the growing, and in the third place, the mowing, or the reaping, if you will. The bad weeds and the good weeds, the bad weeds and the good wheat in the kingdom of God. The sowing, the growing, and the mowing. The text begins by stating that Jesus told them another parable. For he had just told them a parable, which is also well known to you, which dealt with the sowing of seeds as well. And there are a lot of similarities between the two parables, but there are also notable differences. In the parable of the sower, the evil one snatches away most of the seed. For some of the seed falls by the road, other seed falls on rocky ground, and yet other seed falls on infertile ground. Most of that seed never sees the light of day. The field on which this seed is sown is the hearts of men. The heart is the soil. In the parable of our text, however, the field is the world, and the evil one sows bad seed amongst the good. It is only on the last day that the good wheat will be separated from the bad weed. When Matthew states that he told another parable, he is actually using a word that often refers to the serving up of a meal. In other words, with this parable, the Lord Jesus is going to give them something to chew on. It is something for them to think about and to digest. 
He tells them that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who, good, who sowed good seed. The Lord Jesus does not mean that the kingdom as such is like that man. No, he means that it resembles the situation that existed on the man's farm at that particular time. And so the Lord Jesus is actually saying, this parable will show what it is like when God is at work. What happens on this man's farm is also what happens in God's kingdom. And then he gives the, and then he gives them the parable. And the parable states that there was a farmer who planted wheat in his field. In the darkness when no one expected it, when everybody was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed bad weeds on top of the good wheat that the farmer had just sown in the freshly plowed field. As soon as the plants sprout, the farmer's helpers with their trained eyes saw that there was an extraordinary amount of bad weeds mixed in with the good wheat. You can always expect some weeds, but there was such a great amount of bad weeds that they were perplexed by it. And so they went to their master and asked him what kind of seed he bought. They knew that the farmer always used the best kinds of seeds. And so they couldn't understand it. They said, we've got a big problem here. And the farmers understood right away what that problem was. He said, it must have been my enemy who did this. The farmer, however, did not seem overly concerned. The servants were. They knew that their livelihood depended on a good harvest. Also, they did not want the enemy to get away with this. And so they wanted right away to eliminate those bad weeds. However, the farmer holds them back. He says it is better that the bad weeds and the good weed grow up together for a while. We will take care of the bad weeds during harvest time, when we do the mowing. That's when we will separate the two and burn the bad weeds and store the good wheat. However, this leaves a lot of questions for the disciples. And so they ask him to explain it to them. For the way they asked him, from the way that they asked him, it is clear that they had not really concentrated, however, on what the Lord Jesus had been saying in his parable. For what did they ask? They asked, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. They wanted to know about the weeds and how the weeds got there. And they were worried about those weeds growing among them. And they wanted to know what to do with those weeds. In their way of thinking, the sooner they are dealt with, the better. However, careful listening would have shown them that it is not first of all about the weeds. No, it is a parable about the sower and about his kingdom. It is about the glory of God. It is about how God brings everything to a glorious conclusion. That in spite of sin, God is in control. That's clear from the parable itself. The Lord Jesus in verse 37 begins by speaking about the sower, who he is. He says, he is the son of man. And so ultimately, the sower refers 
to the Lord Jesus himself. He wants them to understand that in spite of the fact that someone else secretly sowed bad weeds in the field, he, that is the Lord Jesus, is nevertheless in charge of that field. For he is not only the sower, he is also the mower or the reaper. He is the one who alone decides what is to be done with the field itself and with the crop in that field. The disciples have to trust him. After all, it's his field and it's his crop. And he can do with it what he wants. In the meantime, the servants do not have to worry about getting fed or housed. The farmer has always looked after them and he will continue to do so. After all, ever since the fall into sin, there have always been two kinds of seed. The evil seed and the good seed. That is the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And they have always coexisted together. And that is the way it has been throughout the ages. And that is the way it will be to the end of time. And that is the way it will be even though Christ is now already on the earth. Ultimately, the seed of the woman, the good seed, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus wants the disciples to understand, however, that just because he has come, that does not mean that now right away all sin is going to be dealt with, that all sin is going to be eradicated. He will triumph over sin and he will triumph over the evil one. But he will not right away eradicate it. Satan and all the evil seed that belongs to him will have to come to its full measure before they will taking, before they will be taken care of completely. And also the number of the elect will have to be complete until he comes again. Only then will it be time for the harvest. And so he counsels patience. Let them grow up together, he says. We come to the second point, the growing. In the parable, the servants want to pull up the weeds before they ripen. They want to deal with the problem right away. They do not want to wait. It troubles them to see those weeds growing amongst the wheat. And they think that they will be careful enough to be able to pull it off. They think that they will be able to distinguish between the good wheat and the bad weeds so that they will not make any serious mistakes. They will keep the damage to a minimum. The farmer, however, tells them to wait until harvest time. He has experience in this kind of thing, and he knows that his servants are fallible. He cautions them that by pulling out The weeds right now, they may pull out the good wheat with this. He is concerned about doing damage to the good wheat. They have to be patient. Who are these bad weeds exactly? Lord Jesus explains in verse 38 that the field is the world. However, verse 24 speaks about what is happening in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is God's kingdom established here on earth. And so there is confusion as to where those bad weeds and the good weeds are growing. 
and commentaries are divided on this. Some say that the field is the mission field. It is the world into which the disciples are sent where they will find two different kinds of seed. Others believe that the Lord Jesus is speaking here about what happens in the church. But do we really have to make a choice between the two? And there is no doubt that you will find the two different kinds of seed all over, even in the church. Of course, you find them especially in the world. To the Jews, the bad weeds are the foreigners. They are the people who do not belong to Israel. They are all the other nations. And throughout history, they had to deal with those bad weeds. And the Jews judged them very harshly. The bad weeds are especially the Romans who have invaded their country. The Jewish people of Jesus' day were anxiously awaiting the kingdom of God. They were anxiously awaiting the time of the Messiah. The way they understood it, this would be the reestablishment of Jewish independence and power. It would be a triumph over foreign nations. They once again would be God's special people on earth. And all the other nations would be subject to them. The only way you could accomplish that, according to them, was to purify the land of foreign influences. How do you do that? How do you advance the messianic age? Well, they were the zealots. They wanted to establish the kingdom of God through revolutionary means. They tried to overthrow the occupying Roman forces by hook or by crook. There was also a group known as the Essenes. They did the opposite. They isolated themselves from everybody else and tried to establish the kingdom of God by living purified lives out in the desert. They thought that if they could avoid all impurity, that they then could be the pure starting point for the new Israel. There were also the Pharisees. They were of the opinion that you keep out everyone from the kingdom who is not able to keep the rules and regulations as well as they could. If you do not measure up, then you were excluded from the kingdom. The kingdom of God is only for a select few. It is only for the most pure. Well, says the Lord Jesus, that is not how you are going to establish the kingdom of God. That is not how you deal with the weeds. You don't uproot yourself and try to get out of the sinful world by isolating yourself in your own little community. You don't establish it by excluding all kinds of other people either. No, says he, the bad weeds will always be with you until harvest time. And that's also the way it is within the church. You cannot have a weed-free church either. The Lord Jesus knows the hearts of men. He knows how quick we are to judge others. And how slow we are to judge ourselves. We can easily pick out the weeds here and there. We know what's wrong with another person just like that. And we make our judgments. Is this person a Christian? I wonder why he or she goes to this church. Look at all the bad weed in this church. 
Many of these people do not have enough faith. They are not reverent enough in their worship. They just don't measure up. I do, but they don't. And I wonder how come that person dares to go to the Lord's Supper table. Or how in the world did the consistory make that person an elder or a deacon? Doesn't the consistory know what's wrong with that person's life, what a bad weed he is, what kind of person he is? Yes, brothers and sisters, judgmentalism is alive and well also in our midst. We also look at the people in the world and are sometimes irritated and angry at the decadent lifestyles and unchristian points of view those people hold. And we would rather be rid of them all. If we could somehow manage it, we'd get rid of many of them. The abortionists, for example, or the homosexual activists. Or in the very least, we should totally stay away from these people. We should have nothing to do with them. We should not work with them. They're the bad weeds. Is that what God wants from us? No, the Lord God counsels patience. In the end of the parable, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. In other words, listen carefully. Observe how God deals with people. He is kind. He measures in a different way than we do. He is patient. He is like that farmer in the parable. The time for the reaper will come. In the meantime, let us continue to grow together in the same field. But choke out the bad weed by making sure that the soil in which you are planted is fertile. By making sure that you are bearing all kinds of fruit yourself. By making sure that your own root system is strong. The more vigorous your own growth in the Lord, the less room there will be for evil, and the more evil will be eradicated. The more spiritual you are, the more you will win others over. That is the way it is in the church, and that is also the way it is in the workforce. Kindness to others is a virtue, also to your enemy. And the more you realize what a sinful person you are yourself, and the more you realize from what great sins you have been saved yourself, the more tolerant you will be of other sinners as well. No doubt at this point you have a question. Does that mean that we therefore should not judge, we should just let everything go? Well, no, that's not what it means. We have to know what is right and wrong in accordance with God's word. And But it is first of all something that you have to see within yourself. If you don't see it within yourself, then you will not be a blessing to others because all you will do is then arrogantly point your finger. You will be haughty and arrogant. It says in Philippians 2, Verse 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only 
look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. How interested are you in the salvation of your brother or sister in the Lord or with those people with whom you come into contact in your daily activities? The Lord is concerned. Are you? But that means then, even though we do have to judge brothers and sisters, yes we do, but that we do so in humility. For we do judge one another within the church, don't we? If that were not the case, then we could not exercise discipline either. But such discipline in the church, brothers and sisters, is done only after a very lengthy process. It often takes years before someone is excommunicated. And then it has to be absolutely clear to the consistory that if such a person continues to mean his or her decadent lifestyle that then that person will go to hell it has to be absolutely convinced of that and if it is done in that way then it is, then it is done in accordance with the command of Christ Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 13 about a person who is leading a sexually immoral lifestyle expel the wicked man from among you He is calling them to judge that person. But do you know why? Well, he says that in that same passage, so that his spirit may be saved. It is about a concern of that person's salvation. It is not to condemn in the first place. No, it is to call back someone to make him realize the seriousness of what he or she is doing. It is with the aim of the salvation of that person. And as to the world, well, it says in that same chapter of 1 Corinthians 5 in verse 12, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Do you know when he will do that? He will do that at the end of time. That is when the reaper will come and take the final harvest home. We come to the third point, namely the mowing. If there is one thing that is offensive to the people of the world, it is the Christian claim that those who do not believe in the God of the Bible will be judged with everlasting punishment. They do not believe that if there is a God, that then he would be that cruel that he would then be that exclusivistic. What about those who never had a chance to believe? What about the innocent children? And what about those who have a different belief system, who believe in a different God than the God of the Bible, who believe in Allah, for example? Brothers and sisters, God does not speak different truths. He does not contradict himself. He clearly makes himself known in the Bible. And he especially shows himself to be a patient and compassionate God. But he is also a just God. And you cannot play the two off against each other. When man sinned, then God clearly stated that man would die. It is only because of his grace through Jesus Christ that he has stayed that judgment. 
But Judgment Day is coming. It is amazing that there are people who on the one hand claim to accept Scripture, but who on the other hand reject this doctrine of the punishment of the wicked. How is that possible? The Scriptures are abundantly clear. Listen to what it says, for example, in Revelation 14, verse 9 through 11. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest, there is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image, or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. And in Revelation 20 verse 10, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There are many other passages in the Bible that teach that truth. It's a horrible truth. But do you know why those passages are in the Bible? They're in the Bible to show us the glory of God, to show us His justice. It is to show us that in spite of sin, God is going to make this world new. God created this world in order to make his name great. And that is the purpose he had from the very beginning. And no one and nothing, not even Satan, can thwart that plan. And the most wonderful thing is that we are going to be part of that plan. All you have to do is believe. And you will be saved. You will be saved on that day of judgment. And that day of judgment is no day of terror for the believer. It is a day of great joy. And so, brothers and sisters, let us look forward to that day. But in the meantime, let us be careful how we judge. For God is the final judge, and he is the perfect judge. And in the end, he will also perfect us. All sin and the effects of sin will be dealt with. What a glorious day. That final day of judgment will be for the believer. Amen.